You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Galatians 5, 13, 14. Hasn't it been good to be here already? So it kind of doesn't matter how bad or good the sermon is because we've already had a good day. So I love Sundays like this. This is amazing. Uh, we've, we've been in a sermon series in Galatians, and we've been talking about and kind of getting to this place um, that's called life of the Spirit. And what does it mean for us to live in the Spirit with God? Because we kind of have this physical life that we live, and then we also have the spiritual life that's going on constantly. And sometimes those two things, I don't know if it's true for you, but for me, sometimes those things are in conflict with each other. Sometimes they, they, they work well together, and then other times they just, well, they just don't, right? Uh, that, that's my life. That's my story. Uh, today, we've, we've kind of shared and watched and witnessed and, and been a part of baptism as, as a group. And one of the things that we know is that baptism connects us spiritually to God. It's a physical covenant moment. Now, we're not killing animals or doing something weird, but we're doing something symbolic. Uh, we, we're showing that, that people's lives, that they're dying to themselves and that they're being raised in the spirit, that they're being raised in the presence of God. There's something really powerful about that. And sometimes people ask me, well, how does back baptism work? And my honest answer is, I don't really know. I know that it's something that we do, but I can't explain all, all the little parts of it, all the intricacies and what God is doing that we cannot see. It's kind of like when you, when you have a, a, a man and a woman that are standing up and they're making covenants and they're getting married. God says he does something. He binds them together spiritually as one, and that's not something that I can do. It's only something that God can do. Now, we're going to run through some text today. We're going to talk a little bit about um, Galatians 5. I'm already getting excited because I know I'm on a time crunch here, so I'm going to read really, really quickly today. Um, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take my time because this matters, because this matters. But there are four different parts from Galatians chapter 5, verse 13 to the end. And listen to what Paul is sharing with the church because he doesn't want them to miss it. When he's going to talk about what does it mean to live in the spirit and what that means is, what does it mean when we live with the presence of God in us? He says this, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. What does God want us to find? Freedom. He wants us to, to realize that the boundary between us and him is gone. But don't use that freedom to indulge in the flesh, but rather serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. We already know earlier he's talked about love God first, and we get that. And then he says, but you need to love each other. You need to love your neighbor. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. He is telling them that their community matters, that serving each other is an expression of love. It's actually an expression of God working in them. You know what? It's easy to look at people and, and start with judgment, right? You ever find yourself doing that? It's kind of a natural human instinct. You walk down, you see someone, or you see a behavior, and our mind immediately judges how good we think that person is. How many mistakes did they make? It's always easier to get mad or upset than it is to serve people in love. And what Paul is saying to them is when God is real in us, 
we start operating with a different set of rules. We have a different origin because the origin is not us. The origin is God. Because if it's me, I'm going to judge you. I'm going to be hateful. I'm going to think all these things. But if I stop myself and say, who is God in me? That's going to change the origin of how things happen and the way that I look at you. What, what Paul is saying is that selflessness is greater than obedience. And I know I didn't grow up in a church like that. I didn't grow up in a church that said, you know, selflessness and, and serving each other is the greatest thing. I was taught obedience is the greatest thing. And I'm not saying that I grew up with bad people. I think we all kind of grew up with that idea. But what God wants us to know, first and foremost, is that we are fully loved by him. And when we accept that and that fills our life, it changes things. You see, sin is acting on desire, but it's not the desire itself. You know, sometimes we think if I have a bad thought, that's a sin. Or if I think about something that I want to do, that that's a sin. That's not what, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that what we do with that matters. It's not seeing someone else and seeing them as different than us, or making a quick judgment. It's about what we do with that. Do we catch ourselves? Do we stop? Do we go from there? Let's read a little further. Verse 16 to verse 18, he says, So I say, that's, this is Paul saying to this church, but maybe also to us as well. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit, what is contrary to the, to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under law. Well, what he's saying is a spirit-filled life and a life of rules or law are in conflict and contradiction with each other. These things do not say the same thing. You know, when, when the Israelites were led out into the, into the desert and they got to Mount Sinai, God didn't give them the rules because he was trying to punish them. He gave them those rules because he was trying to help them live good, good, faithful lives. And he was calling out certain things that said, listen, you've you got you to gotta live a certain way. You can't live by giving yourself a grade every single day about how good or bad you think you are because you will always, if we're honest, you'll always come up short. But if you live your life by the Spirit of God and you allow that to dominate what we do, you have a better chance. You know, sin is obvious. Nobody needs to tell us what sin is. When Cain killed Abel and God confronted him, his first words were not, I didn't realize that was wrong. When Moses kills an Egyptian and buries him in the sand, it's obvious that he's done something wrong. Almost as obvious as the whipping that the parents put on the students yesterday at the Olympics. What was the score? 135 to 5. We were spirit-filled, let me tell you. We're not today. <laughs> but we were then. But sin is obvious. Nobody needs to tell you. We have a moral intuition that God has placed in us. We know when we do things that are wrong. We know when we're about to do things that are wrong. We know when we've been wrong in an argument. We know these things because God has allowed us to know these things. Sin is obvious. But in case you missed it, Paul 
Paul tells you. And I want you to notice that, that everything that he says in verse 19 to 21 are kind of at the core of any sin that we commit. If you, if, if We all commit sins. We make a lot of mistakes every single day. And if you do, the reality is, is that we know what we're doing. We know when we're doing it wrong because these are the big things that help us to navigate what is wrong. He says this, the acts of the flesh, code word for sin, is obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, which means you're your pleasure-seeking, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition. That's probably the biggest one at the heart of all of them. Dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. If, if you look at things, and I know that in our lives, we, uh, we use some language sometimes to describe the sins that we're committing, right? This is just a little, a little white lie, right? It's still a lie, but we, we, we kind of soften the blow. Well, I wasn't, being, you know, I wasn't being judgmental. I was just being honest with them. Yeah, maybe. I think what Paul is saying here, these are the big list. You say, well, I struggle with all these things. But these things are what sins become because small sins become big sins. When we get away with small things, when I was teaching, uh, I, I taught uh, some Bible classes um, in high school for a while, and sometimes they would have to write papers, and sometimes kids would plagiarize, okay, and sometimes they would lie, or they would cheat, or they would, they would have notes somewhere, and I would never let it go. I would call them out, they would fail that, whatever it was, and I would get calls from parents. I thought that you were filled with grace. I thought this was a Bible class. How are you teaching them about grace? And I would simply say this, because if they cheat on a test and I let it go, what is that going to become over time? It's the fact that I love your kids and I want them to experience grace. I still love them. They can still be in the class. No one's going to jail. But this is a, this is a core moment. And if they don't learn it now, going to turn into something big. If they get away with it now, it might just destroy their life. You know, there's a, a, a part of the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus, uh, Jesus is teaching in Matthew chapter 5. And he, he starts with them, and it seems, seems kind of like a ridiculous thing. He says, you know, you've heard it said by people long ago, you shouldn't murder, right? We all know murder is wrong. And that anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. Yes, our culture still upholds that. But then he says, but I tell you that if anyone is angry with his brother or sister, they will be subject to judgment. Jesus says, listen, don't go all the way to murder. Let's stop it when it's anger. Because I would say 99.9% .9 of murder begins with somebody being angry with someone else. Paul is writing and he says, the spirit of God treats the root cause. The Spirit of God tells us to stop it here rather than waiting for it to go there. Because what the law does is the law basically says, you're only wrong if you cross the line over here. And Paul says, no, no, no. The Spirit of God treats, treats the root cause right here. And if you stop it here, it never gets that far down, down the road. The law only treats the symptoms when you step over the line. The Spirit of God seeks greater priority in life. We start from a different place. And then Paul says this. 
know what it's like to have the Spirit? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against these things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. And there's some good news in the midst of this. Because he says life in the Spirit takes practice. It's not something you're going to do day one. It takes practice. In fact, if we talk about it, you ever heard the statement, it's about direction, not perfection? Sometimes in our faith, we think that everything with God is pass-fail. God says, you're going to make mistakes. I get it. But I want to know where you're heading. I want to know what you're shooting for. That's why these things, these, these qualities, what he says, the fruit of the Spirit, what he's really meaning is when you live your life well, you'll see these things. I feel like if Paul really wanted to reach us, he would have called it like the cake of the Spirit rather than the fruit of the Spirit. Because really, who wants a piece of fruit? Let's be honest, right? He says when you live this way, things will come out of your life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. You'll start to see these things grow in you. And they're meant to be for us. They're not a prize for us to say, look how good I am, God. The day that you wake up and you feel joy rather than anger, when you look at somebody and feel sympathy and love for them rather than judgment, you will know that the Spirit of God is in you. And as we practice the Spirit of God, what if we all woke up tomorrow and said, God, I'm not going to ask you for anything. Just show me. Just show me what you're doing in me and what you can do in me. God, just fill me today with your spirit. That's all I need. And over time, instead of getting angry, you're gentle. Instead of thinking only what's good for you, you start thinking about what's good for others. You wake up and you feel joy, not anger. You feel love for your children. That one's going to take a minute, right? You know, life in the Spirit always begins with worship. If you read the Bible, people that encounter God often most powerfully encounter Him through a moment of worship. And all that worship is, is the presence of God, the Spirit of God. And God gives revival to those who walk with Him, actually to those who imperfectly walk with Him. We know we're broken. I'm broken. You're broken. We're all broken. But when we come together and we worship God, He reminds us that He loves us, that His Spirit is in us, and that our lives can look different than they do. Tonight there's a revived night of worship, 5.30, is that right? 5.30. They didn't get to worship quite as much today. I know we're going to sing a couple more songs. But tonight is going to be a night Maybe if you look at that fruit of the Spirit list, you say, I, I don't have a lot of those. Start with worship. 
starts with the presence of God. The presence of God is where we find the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God changes lives. Father, today, thank you for welcoming us into this place today. Thank you for letting us be here as we as we sing a couple more songs, God, would you just prepare us today that you would work on us, that we, maybe, may, maybe we need a moment of worship. Maybe the fact that we don't feel like coming to worship is a sign that we need it. So Father, tonight I just pray for, for the revival that we all desperately need, for that newness that we're all seeking. I just pray, Father, that you would remind us today that you love us, that we're never too far from you that we can always come home. And may we just have an honest spirit to assess our own lives and not go through the fruit of the spirit like it's a list of which ones we're doing badly with because there are seasons in our lives where we do better with one and better with another. But Father, may we have a deep-seated yearning to have more of your spirit in us. We pray that you would bless us as we continue to sing today. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. And the church together.